Hi, I'm Amber and welcome to the Lone Star Keto Podcast. Today we have Ryan Brown with us. He is a nutrition coach and a podcast host of Road to Recovery. We are going to be discussing eating disorders and chronic illness. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you so much. I'm really uh, geared to do this. It's going to be, it's going to be an adventure. Yes, absolutely. Super happy to have you on. Uh, I was going through a bunch of Ryan's videos and wow, what he has gone through is incredible, seriously. So give us a little bit of background on you. Like how, what, what has your journey been so far, uh, both professionally, what you're doing, how you got to the place you're at, and also just a little bit about your, your health journey. We'll, we'll go in deeper later. Yeah. And I think one of the things that stands out from uh, my health journey in general, as we were mentioning before we even started recording, was that just how relatable my health journey is to so many people that deal with chronic illness. There seems to be so many parallels in the community with people that eventually develop some sort of, whether it's an autoimmune disorder, uh, chronic condition, diabetes, any of these things, there just seems to be a lot of commonalities. And that's also a big problem. So my journey kind of began when I was around 18 years old. So probably seven years ago, six, seven years ago. And I was somebody that not knowingly at the time had been kind of stuffing down, like we all do a lot of repressed anger and feelings and childhood trauma. I moved around a lot as a kid, uh, was very stressed. And we had moved to Utah in 2010 when I was just going into high school. So I had had established friends and I had to start my life all over, make new friends. And moving from the Midwest, uh, I lived in Kansas at the time to Utah is kind of like moving from one bubble to another bubble. And they're very different bubbles. Uh, there's a lot of LDS community in Utah, especially Davis County where I lived. And it just wasn't the same social environment that I was used to. And that move really triggered me. I think I lived in denial with it for the next five years up until I graduated high school. And at that point, I had a really bad breakup senior year. Uh, I was dating this girl that I thought was like the one, it was like your first young love sort of deal. Whoops. <laughs> first young love sort of deal. And uh, that really crushed me. And then I looked at my life and I was like, okay, what can I control? And like you mentioned, I have an eating disorder background and a lot of eating disorders have to do with control. I'd argue most of them have to do with some sort of control aspect. And so for me, it was this feeling of being lost. So I started saying, okay, I can control my fitness and I can control what I eat. So I, my goal was actually to gain muscle because I'd always been kind of a lanky dude, uh, not super athletic. And I really did enjoy going to the gym. I was just kind of a hard gainer. So I was like, okay, I'm going to double down. I'm going to do all this research and really get into fitness. Only instead of bulking, like I probably should have, I ended up doing this massive cut for some reason, and then just got cut in the spiral of cutting over and over again until boom, all of a sudden I'm 88 pounds and uh, just act, like actually dying. And then that's when I realized I, I had a problem and fear set in about gaining the weight back, even though I needed to, for my health, I knew I needed to do it. I was afraid of gaining the weight and getting fat, like many people with eating disorders do when they get to that point. And so that's kind of where my journey all began, but the root cause of it was this undealt with uh, trauma that I had over the past several years of my life. And that's something that I'm sure we'll get into later when talking about chronic conditions is root cause healing 
and the mental aspect of it is a huge portion of that, which I think isn't discussed enough. We focus a lot on diet, mm -hmm. nutrition, but stress reduction and dealing with those cortisol spikes that come from emotional yes. places are, are so powerful. You can, you can, if you can control your blood pressure with breathing, which you can to some degree, I've been amazed. Um, you, it's, it's kind of something to consider when, when looking at your health, all the, the mental stuff. So there I was kind of 88 pounds. I kind of drifted there for a while under hundred. Then finally my, uh, I had a personal trainer who at the time I wasn't really seeing for fitness stuff. Cause I was banned from going to the gym, but he basically yelled at me enough. I started eating food again, gaining weight, got up to a healthy, not in danger situation but I continued these self-destructive behaviors of crash dieting and binging and restricting. And in standard eating disorder recovery, there's this mantra, all foods fit. And so when you see a nutritional therapist or you see a registered dietitian, they kind of show you the little my plate model and this is how you're supposed to eat. This is, you have your dairy over here. You got your grains on this side of the plate. You got your handful of meat, some veggies, uh, a little bit of fat, kind of a very standard American diet approach. And it frankly led me to a binging restricting behavior, which was not any more healthy than I was. I would binge 10,000 calories on the weekend and restrict to a thousand because I'd freak out and then work out like crazy for hours a day the rest mm -hmm. of the week, which I think is pretty common when you see that in the space. And so nothing was talked about nutrient density. Nutrient density wasn't a real discussion, or if it was, somehow grains were nutrient dense. And when you look at them on an app like chronometer or anywhere the way you look up nutritional data, it's just not as far as ratios go to like animal products, for instance. Uh, and so there's just this very skewed way that I think we tackle things. We look at things only from, with the eating disorder, we only look at it, at least in my case, from a mental health perspective, as in the underlying trauma, which I totally agree with. You gotta address all those things, otherwise you'll never heal. But when you're so screwed up, your neurotransmitters are just all over the place. You're producing no, no epinephrine, your dopamine's all over. Like your gut is obviously a mess. And as we know now, your gut and your brain are very connected as far as neurotransmitters and all of those things. And you're not addressing the gut health in eating disorder recovery because all foods fit here. You got to eat the crap. You got to eat the ice cream, the cupcakes, which man, binge worthy foods. And that's what exactly what happened when you get on the sugar roller coaster but you don't readjust those neurotransmitters in many cases. And I've spoken to people like Michelle Hearn, who's a registered dietitian mm -hmm. and with her eating disorder journey, very similar. She recovered the weight, but her mind and body was mm -hmm. still a mess because she never addressed the, the real gut health problems that were contributing to also the mental health problems. We hear people restoring mental health on, uh, by adjusting dietary dietary changes. And it's just not really thought of right now. And so here I was kind of in a quasi recovery state, still over exercising, still not, I was doing the standard thing, tons of carbs to, to bulk up and, you know, a lot of protein, a lot of whey protein, almond milk. Cause you know, dairy is terrible for you. Uh, tons of oatmeal and like brown rice. And then two years ago, I started developing neurological symptoms, uh, peripheral neuropathy. And that's basically started a whole other healing journey where I actually had to start facing my mental demons that I never, never challenged uh, prior to that. Because once you restore the weight, doctors don't even look at you as having an eating disorder anymore. 
when really you could have an eating disorder at any weight, which is something that also isn't discussed enough. Uh, so that's kind of where this second healing journey has began. And I've discovered all sorts of other messed up problems with my hormones. Hormones are all tanked, thyroid's a mess. Uh, I have osteopenia, which is frankly an old person's disease. It's stage one before osteoporosis. And uh, I have all the behavioral stuff to thank for my current situation, but it's also been sort of a blessing because it's led me down this other path of helping other people in similar situations or hopefully not getting to the point where I'm at where you got to do all this extra healing and all this extra like mental work to get to an uh, optimal place. But that's kind of my story in a nutshell. I could go on it for days. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome. And I can relate to so much of what you said. It's just not even funny because you probably know I also suffered from eating disorders too. And to some degree, I probably still have some of that mentality. Um, I'm much better now, but I mean, this is when I was 15 years old, I'm 55 now. And, you know, that journey, and also I do what I do for the exact same reasons you do. And you kind of almost have to look at it that what all that you went through was for a reason. Otherwise, good gosh, you know, so you got to kind of think of that. One question I have for you that I think your experience obviously was going to be different than my experience, but as a male and having an eating disorder, you don't hear about that very much. And I'm guessing there's got to be some kind of a, you know, the way people view you because you are a man. I mean, men, you know, they don't have eating disorders. How did that affect you? And, and specifically with those that are uh, trying to help you? Yeah. So that's actually really the antithesis for why me and my, uh, my podcast partner, Tommy, started Road to Recovery was because we were two dudes who we found each other on Facebook, basically, I think in, in a YouTube Facebook group, but we both had this eating disorder problem. He's a huge advocate for male males with eating disorders. Um, and it's a huge problem uh, within society because I think you wouldn't know it, but if you went to the gym, I guarantee you there are going to be dudes there that have body dysmorphia at the mm -hmm. very least, whether or not they're dealing with the other physical problems uh, is kind of moot because the gym is just full of people with, but I mean, we're just built to have biodysmorphic minds in the society we live in today, unfortunately, whether you're a man or a woman, but met with men specifically, my experience, and this is only my experience. I don't even remember clinically ever being diagnosed with an eating disorder, other than giving myself the diagnosis at a point, mm -hmm. because my GP never one specifically looked at me and said, like, look, you have an eating disorder. We need, we need to get you into therapy. Uh, we need to get you like seeing a dietitian. That was, I kind of was left alone in this journey. I kind of had to do everything for myself. And to an extent, it wouldn't have mattered had someone told me because when you're in that mindset and your mind is so repressed from the lack of, you know, nutrition, and you're just not thinking like a logical human being against your will, like you just have no choice because you, your brain cannot logically think. Um, I didn't have the willingness to actually listen to anyone I met with anyways. But the funny thing that really struck me was that my parents who I was you know, living at home at the time, uh, I was 18, 19 years old, I just graduated uh, high school and was going to college locally, um, commuting. So I lived with them. They really didn't notice I had an eating disorder 
until it was like me being bottomed out. And I think my dad saw me with just with my shirt off one time. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time he ever thought like, damn, Ryan has a real problem. And when you're a parent of a kid with an eating disorder and a guy for, for that matter, how do you approach that? Like, no, you, you aren't taught that in a user manual of how, I mean, it's bad enough, you know, having to learn to be a parent, like we all will have to do at some point, you're not given a great user manual for that. You kind of learn on experience, <laughs> but um, how do you approach someone like that? Because like you, you know, people with eating disorders aren't super receptive especially in the beginning when they are in that denial phase, like I was, and you don't want them to restrict more. So as far as being a male in that situation, I was met with uh, basically nothing. I don't think anybody, the, the greatest person that I ever had was my very first therapist I went to, who um, was a woman, but had a lot of male clients with eating disorders. And she was the first person I felt like I could open up to and get to see me for the actual underlying childhood trauma had been there the whole time. And so that's why having a support system and really getting into therapy, even if you're not super receptive, but just got to just get yourself in there for several sessions and give it a shot. And just to have someone that will actually listen, will listen to you is super important. And luckily I did have my friend Tommy at the time who had gone through all of this for mm -hmm. years. And so he was someone I could kind of lean on, but um, basically he, Tommy and my therapist were the only two people that ever really, I think, acknowledged my eating disorder as, as an eating disorder. So, so what made you go, Ooh, I have an eating disorder. What was that point? Do you remember when that, yeah. that really hit you? Yeah. So I was, uh, so I was in college. I was studying digital media. I think it was my second year of college. And I was in a digital media class. We had to do some filming projects for, for, for class. So we were filming outside of one of the buildings and I had to jump off a ledge that was about one foot high and jump into camera frame, into the frame of the camera. And I, I leaped off and I couldn't hold my own body weight upon impact. So I just hit the ground and my whole body collapsed. I was probably lucky that I didn't like, you know, crack a femur or something on landing because of just how malnourished I was. But just in that moment when I fell and realized that I couldn't even hold my own body weight from one foot drop, that was like, man, Ryan, you need to really address this. Now, did I acknowledge that I had all of these mental aspects to my eating disorder that I, I needed to fix? No, that was like several years later that I really started working on that. But from a physical standpoint of knowing I had a problem that needed to change now, that was the, the very beginning for me. And here's something that I think people don't fully understand. And you just hit on that is how past trauma, regardless of if somebody else thinks that what you went through was trauma or not, was very real to you. And it can actually affect your physical health. Oh, yeah. Can you oh, talk yeah. a little bit about that? Because I don't think that's really talked about enough. Oh yeah. And this is the, something that I do uh, like the functional medicine approach to uh, looking at, you know, root cause healing, but we could, I mean, we could debate philosophy on the nutrition aspect of that, but, but the philosophy of like, it's more than just like eating the food and all this stuff. There's this yes. whole, and this is the part that I actually hate doing with, with the functional medicine approach and the approach I take to like clients or, or other people in the community is working on like, like we were talking about nutrition with Judy earlier, and you bring this up on your page a lot on Instagram is just 
like stress, Mm -hmm. stress, it like stress kills. Like that saying is an absolute truth. Mm -hmm. And so all of the mental stress does contribute to physical ailment. So people who experience like high blood pressure and even like heart disease and like various things, a lot of times you'll, you'll meet them. They have like very stressful, whether it's work lives, social lives, uh, past trauma. So all of those things raise something in your body. It's a hormone called cortisol, which I'm sure people that have listened to this podcast know very well cortisol, but when you are, there's good stress, bad stress. So short stresses are really good, like short bursts of exercise. Um, but when you're in an eating disorder, specifically with exercise addiction, as well as restrictive, you know, feeding behaviors, you're spiking cortisol 24 seven because your cortisol in that moment is actually good because it's keeping you alive without the cortisol at 88 pounds. I would have been dead. Probably my body was not going to function. I'm, I'm actually surprised that when I went in and did like liver kidney tests that I had no crazy abnormalities. I was very fortunate in that sense at the time. Uh, unfortunately that delayed my recovery cause I thought I was fine. <laughs> but, um, when you're in a chronic cortisol state, which even after gaining back to a good healthy weight maintenance and you think it's all over if you continue things like over exercise which is why even healthy people at healthy weights can have spike cortisol all the time if you're overtraining which is a very real mm-hmm. thing or like chronically caffeinating yourself all the time or you're mm-hmm. stressed with work 24/7 your cortisol is going to be high all the time and that mm-hmm really disrupts other hormones. You need less testosterone, estrogen. It, it dilutes all of those because you're in fight or flight and humans are just not designed to be in fight or flight all the time. And the longer you're in that state, the harder it is to bring it down. So that's the major aspect to, to the health decline that I've seen with, with um, clients and or other people in the space is, is that cortisol effect on people. And so that's why addressing those stressors is actually almost more important than, than just jumping into a dietary change, which is also powerful. I a hundred percent agree with that. And <laughs> just because I try to do like way too much, I think is my issue. Yeah, me too. My cortisol is super high. And matter of fact, I've had it tested three times, four times. I don't even know what it is anymore, but every single time it's come back high for the last six months. And then today I just did this. It's it's a a new thing. Oh my God. It's the coolest thing. Anyway, I'll have a video on that, but basically it's like a, it's a piece strip, but it's like those really hefty duty one. And it tests multiple things like magnesium, um, and cortisol and all that. (laughs) Yeah. My cortisol super high, my magnesium low, Mm -hmm. low. And this is something you shared on your page, magnesium, the more stressed you are that you burn through all these minerals and magnesium. Well, I'm here to tell you it's true. (laughs) Yep. It's fact. I'm, I'm there too. My magnesium, when I tested it was, was really low. I did a HTMA hair, hair, uh, mineral test. Uh, and it was just like, I'm excreting it like a, like a mother it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, that is so sad. And I take supplements and I have been taking supplements for a while now. And, and I, I wasn't expecting it to be as low as it was. I really wasn't. I expected my cortisol to be high. I, yeah. Why, why would it not be right? A great <laughs> test so well. aggravating. A great test as well. And you'll know, and you've, um, I'm sure mentioned this before is like 
looking at your blood glucose uh, in the morning as well. I, there, I mean, down effect is one thing. That's another aspect to it, yeah. but, but your blood sugar will go through the roof. If you're having cortisol spikes, regardless of how you're, I tested this morning because I did this as well. And it also has ketones, you know, mm. that you excrete, which I don't want to excrete ketones really. Cause I freaking use them. Right. But I went ahead and tested for ketones and my blood glucose 117. Wild. Yep. I've been and there. then my cortisol super high. <laughs> and so it's like, Hmm. Okay. Gee, could it be, you know, correlated? I don't know. <laughs> cool. Exactly. Yeah. So stress is a huge thing. And yeah, when you have these past traumas and you haven't dealt with them, that stays with you. And then it continues to, you know, build and build, even though you don't focus on it necessarily it could be subconscious, whatever. And like when I'm dealing with my clients, kind of like you, but to be honest, I kind of like that part because I rate I relate so well. And I just pick up on that because it's just so in my face, you know, because I've been there. And then we talk about that. And sure enough, sure enough, they immediately, it, something clicks and they're like, whoa, yeah, yeah. And then they just break out crying. And I'm like, yeah, that's where you need to start right there. But that's the beautiful part about, about health coaching I've found is it's almost kind of this two-way um, therapeutic venture you're going on with somebody else. It's kind of therapeutic for yourself as the health coach, Agree. which, which is a beautiful thing because you both, it, it's different than seeing a doctor because they see so many patients in a day. They need to for insurance purposes. And you get this real connection with someone that you're working with one-on-one -on -one in a health coach situation and you get to know them, you become kind of friends with them. And it's like this bilateral journey you're going on. And that's the beautiful aspect of is you as the health coach grow with each new client. And I think that's the beautiful aspect of it. I agree with that. Oh my goodness. I agree. And I think that's what I love about it. Honestly, you know, besides the fact of helping other people, you know, because, oh, yeah. you know, even if you dislike somebody, you still don't want them to suffer like you did. Exactly. So if you can do exactly. something to help them not get to where you had to go, learn from me, learn from me. <laughs> Don't Amen. make the same mistakes. You know, Amen. I'll be your Guinea pig. I've already done it. You know, so I, I agree with you there. Okay. So back to eating disorders. Um, when you accepted the fact that you did have an eating disorder, what did you do? Like, how did you transition yourself to start healing? Because you didn't go to a clinic. I'm, I'm assuming you no, did this on your I own and I did too. Yeah. So I, I get it. Yeah. Um, I think that was also part of the, the male dogma too. I don't think they would have put me in a clinic based on the fact that I was a dude. I think it was kind of like in denial for people. Um, if I was a woman, they would have put me in there like right away. I guarantee you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and it wouldn't have helped me. I would have gained weight and then I would relapse immediately after because I didn't work on any of the mental stuff. But um, honestly, uh, I kind of sat there for a little bit because I was kind of in fear. It's like a limbo stage. And it kind of happens when you're diagnosed with a chronic condition as well. We're like, man, like I, I know I need to take action, but is this action going to make me worse? Because that's the thing you don't want to do is I don't want to do something that's going to make me worse. Unfortunately, you just have to learn that you're going to make tons of mistakes on this healing journey. And that that's how you actually learn what works. You just got to experiment and go forward. But so what actually got me going was I was seeing a personal trainer at the time. Like I mentioned before, I was actually banned from exercising at the gym. They wouldn't let me exercise, but I would meet with this guy one time a week, really cool dude, just a hard ass. And I loved him. That's what I needed. I didn't need any of this 
babying of like, let's, what are your feelings like? Which I like, I can do that now, but I was just not in the place. I needed some action on this, on this weight problem to get going um, anywhere to start moving any, any needle. And so he would just yell at me every single week to eat, eat food, basically like lots of eggs. He was lots of eggs, lots of steak. Um, just, just eat food. And so that was, he eventually just hearing it enough times that was like, all right, I'm going to do it because you're going to whip my butt. If I don't, I know this. I love that dude. His name was Zach. Great guy. Um, he's the one that really triggered me to change my life and actually move forward, uh, in my journey. So basically just being yelled at enough and then internally yelling at myself enough, not in a negative voice way, but just like take action, just do it. That's exactly, that's eventually, I'm sure you can attest to this in your own journey of just like one day you're sitting there, you're just like, damn it. I have to do it. I have to do it today. And that was kind of it. Yeah. Um, so where are you at in your journey now? Do you feel like you're healed? Are you still working on it? Like, do you have relapses? What's going on with you now? I am a hundred percent still working on stuff. Um, mostly the mental work. Cause that's the thing I delayed the longest, uh, as we all do. So mm-hmm. it's been really for me. And I even work with health, health coaches myself. Um, shout out to people like Rebecca farmer. Who's awesome. Oh, love her. She's One of just, my favorite people. She's really helped me just reconnect and give me, give myself grace. And which is so important. Mm-hmm. You gotta, you gotta just be like, you know what? Today is not going to be a, you know, today was not perfect, but I'm doing my best. And sometimes mm-hmm. your best is enough. And as long as you keep striving, that's, that's the best thing. Just don't give up on yourself. That's, that's the one thing. If anyone takes away from this is just don't give up on yourself, but really the, having a sports system, having, having a loving family that has been with me the whole time has been truly what's kept me going. Uh, so right now I'm still tackling some of the, it kind of, as we'll get into in a moment, I'll be talking about chronic conditions that kind of flipped the nail on the head for me because I was kind of in the whole standard eating disorder recovery approach, all foods fit, like trying to incorporate fear foods and all this stuff. Uh, and when I started getting neuropathy, that kind of changed my tune a little bit because, okay, now I got another problem, which standard American diet is not going to be helping. <laughs> so, so that one kind of uh, flipped me on a curve. So that's kind of where I'm at now is been learning about stress reduction, as well as the powers of nutritional therapy, and then combining those two things. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. And also taking that knowledge and giving it back to people I work with, or that I just know personally. So that's kind of where I'm at now. I've definitely addressed a lot of the demons. I feel like I'm past a lot of the mental hurdles. I'm at this point where I'm just like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get better, as much better as I can get. And that's all that matters to me. Um, as far as body dysmorphia goes, Mm. I don't really have a real issue with the way I look. In fact, I'm just like, you know what? I got to keep getting better is kind of where I'm at mentally. Um, because I used to be now one thing with eating disorders is a lot of people do this thing called body checking where they'll like pinch Mm -hmm. themselves though. Me, it was just like looking at my abs all the time. Like at the gym, I think people were probably disgusted with me because I would lift (laughs) my shirt up like every 10 seconds. Like, are they still there? Are they still there? <laughs> All right. It's still there. We're fine. But uh, letting go of those things has been probably the hardest aspect of my journey. And I finally just kind of jumped over that hurdle. So that's something I'm really proud of as far as, as far as that goes, because that's, I think that's a big one 
is the, is it the is. checking stuff. Oh, it is. Yeah. So, but, but really just, just learning to let, just love yourself the way you are. It sounds cheesy as hell, but that's really where you have to get to is just, this like, it sounds cheesy, but you just got to say to yourself, I do a lot of positive mantras, a lot of positive affirmations. I'm a big proponent of that. Write 10 of them down, put them on your mirror, read them every morning. One of mine is I'm perfect and I'm just going to keep getting better, but I'm perfect the way I am now. Like you need to accept yourself where you're at. If you keep doing this negative voice spiral, it's just going to tear yourself down over and over again. So if you can do one thing right now, 10 positive affirmations, do it. (laughs) I I agree with that. Oh my goodness. And something I think people don't fully understand, and you kind of hit on this, is when people like us who put ourselves out there, like put ourselves out there, Mm -hmm. people think that we're not people, that we don't have setbacks, that we still don't, that we have our struggles, you know, and I think that, oh, I'm doing great. I'm I'm all fine. Then I'll be talking to, you know, a guest or somebody else and something all of a sudden hits me and it just breaks me down. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. I thought I was over that. Wow. Where did that come from? So there's always that part and, and, and continuing to need support. You know, like you said, you, you talk to health coach, we all need somebody for support and it's okay. It doesn't matter how much you figured out, how healthy you are, how awesome you are. You still need support. You still need to, you know, be able to talk about things. So nobody's perfect. Just nobody. That's actually, that's a, that's going to be a post for me later this week is talking about how people get stuck in these dogmatic paradigms of following influencers who put out this perfection, you know, perfectionism all the time. And if you were to speak to them behind closed doors, I guarantee you everyone I've spoken to, everyone I've looked up to, like yourself, Nutrition with Judy, all these people, Michelle Hearn, everyone is dealing with some sort of baggage on the other side. And the minute you start realizing that it's kind of a minute you can look inwards and be like, you know what? I have baggage too, and that's okay. And that's what I need to focus on. I don't need to be ashamed of having problems still because we all got problems. It's just we denying do. them is, is the issue. We got to, I think the more open people like you and me can be on our platforms, the better it is for everyone that is consuming that content. I agree. And just like, because I am struggling with this cortisol issue for you know, I I've eliminated a lot of things of what, what it could be, whatever, and kind of paring it down and I'm getting closer. I hope I think, and, but it's caused some weight gain. Okay. In, in this whole situation we're in, I don't even want to give a name oh, to it because yeah, I'm so over it, but uh, yeah, the whole situation. And so it, and a lot of people, this has happened to, and when we had a meetup, what was it last month, month before, whatever it was, it was amazing how many people there that were big influencers and some that we just talked about, yep. talked about how they felt insecure because they were afraid they were going to be judged for not being perfect, for not living up to this, you know, 
influencer person or whatever you want to say, you know? And so to me, I think you have to be real. I mean, I don't want to put all my crap out there, but at the same time, it's like, I have issues too. Hello. I'm still working on stuff. Good God. This cortisol thing is making me nuts. <laughs> that probably is not helping the cortisol thing. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you know, it's this cycle, but everybody's got something going on and you know what? That's okay. That's okay. That that's part of our journey. And you know, you figure it out, you move on, you get stronger, then you can talk about it and help others in that same situation. So it's all good. Yeah. But I think we do need to talk more about that personally. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. But I I think that's why podcasts like this will, will be helpful for people because it's like you said, you don't want to, you don't want to be that person that's like putting out the baggage on your story every single day, but it's also good to just, you know, be real with people every now and then and let them know like, Hey, I'm a person just like you <laughs> like uploading the unedited version of a video on YouTube. Yeah, that was awesome. My I've first reaction, I'm not going to lie. I freaking panicked and I was almost in tears because I was like, Oh my gosh. You know, cause I spent so much time and I, I like everything to be a certain way. I'm a perfectionist. I admit it. Oh, I'm with you. And, and my, my husband's the one that figured out and it had been up for like half a day all through the night See? and everything. And I was like, Oh my God. My first reaction was I'm deleting that crap. And, and then I saw there was enough people that had already seen it. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm dying. I'm dying inside. And then I, I watched it and I was like, you know what? You're a freaking person. You make mistakes too. Why not show everybody that you're not in fact, perfect. You know, <laughs> I have these goofy things, you know, where um, I sneeze and I'm like talking to myself like, Oh, that wasn't good. You know, <laughs> starting yeah. over and it's like, but you know what? That's me. That's me. Love it. So Love whatever. It. I, I left it. That was hard for me, but I left it. No, I've done that several times. Sometimes uh, now on my, on a different channel that I have my, uh, my primary stuff, um, I'll leave in just some mistakes on purpose, just because I think it's hilarious. It is. Like, if you really look at it, it is laugh at yourself. That's and I need to get better it. at that. I mean, I, yeah. I am much better than I was, but sometimes it is still hard because you oh, yeah. feel like there's this expectation and, you know, you don't want to be called out and God dang, the people just are waiting for you to fail so they can attack. You know, it, it, it's the craziest thing. Like we were talking beforehand, yeah, no joke. you know, I was just dealing literally right before coming on uh, somebody just meh, meh, meh at me in the comments. And I'm like, what in the world? Yeah. So whatever. <laughs> it's one of those things. I totally feel you. Okay. So let's go ahead and move on to the chronic illness issue. Um, talk about what happened with you because my goodness, uh, just one thing after another. And I, I think people need to, to understand how people who have these chronic illnesses that are not so easy to diagnose are treated. Yeah. So for me, I started basically two years ago, summer of 2019, just got back from an awesome trip to Europe, visiting, you know, my cousins in the UK. It was great. Uh, it was the first trip in which I didn't actually like lose weight on a trip. Cause that, that was like a big problem for me with my eating disorder was going out of my comfort zone. And then if we traveled, like not eating because mm-hmm. I was just not comfortable, but I had a big win. I didn't lose any weight. It was great. Got back, was feeling pretty good. Um, still, unfortunately at the time had this really bad over-exercising behavior still, uh, that I was not addressing. And I knew I was overdoing it mentally, but I just wasn't addressing it, which is, you know, other stuff that I've had to work on over the last two years. But I started down one night, I was just sitting 
hanging out in my apartment and my hands started tingling. And I was like, oh crap, what is that? Started texting around, uh, maybe some carpal tunnel, which is probably not too uncommon for a dude that's working on the computer all day, making videos, editing stuff. So I wasn't too worried about it, but within a couple of weeks, it basically spread to my entire body. Just having this tingling kind of numb feeling all over my body, my face, my butt, that was crazy. Uh, and I went to the doctor, I went to urgent care several times. They kind of brushed it off. It's like, oh, probably just some pinched nerves. You're working out too much. And uh, which the working out too much was definitely on the, on point. But, uh, the thing that got me was no one was, you know, sending in a referral to see a neurologist, despite the fact that this thing had spread from hand to toe to face in a good matter of weeks. Um, it seems kind of odd that I would pinch like 12 nerves in a matter of days. And I, that was kind of the beginning of my frustration with the, the current medical system and how, and how we see things. I was not referred to anyone at all. And so eventually I, I went into urgent care and I basically begged to get an MRI because I was convinced I had MS. I was like, I was sure of it because I was just doing all this research. I was also freaking myself out. So my cortisol was even higher than normal, which it was normally high. Uh, they actually put me on clonopin at one point as sort of a sedative to kind of knock me out because I was not sleeping and I needed something to take me down. Now, after I researched Klonamin, I was like, dang, I need to get off this because this is going to mess me up later down the road. And luckily I was only on it for, for a few weeks and I was actually able to taper down really quickly without any adverse reactions because benzodiazepines are a whole other story, which Michaela Peterson gets into a lot on her podcast uh, with her father and stuff like that. Um, but so eventually I got to see a neurologist. I pushed every doctor I saw to do all of these tests. I was basically my own advocate the whole time, as is everyone with a chronic illness that's, they have no idea what's going on. You end up being your own best advocate. You end up being the one that does all the work. I was telling my doctors what tests to look up. I basically was not relying on them at all. And they were running all these tests. All of it was coming back normal, hated that. Uh, eventually I got a skin punch biopsy and I was diagnosed with something called small fiber neuropathy, which is just sensory neuropathy in, in the sensory nerve. So it's not picked up by a thing like an EMG, which is a standard protocol test for, for, um, a neuropathy. And in fact, they told me I didn't have neuropathy and I just had anxiety because I passed that test, but they, you know, neglected to tell me there was another type of neuropathy for which that test didn't test for. So I had, to, I had to do my own research for that. However, as you know, neuropathy is more of a symptom as is our most chronic conditions than it is a disease in, of, in and of itself. And autoimmune disease too is also usually a symptom of an underlying problem, usually gut health related at the very, very root. But no one told me that. And so that was a, another thing I had to self-discover. And um Kind of my last straw with the current medical system was I went and saw the, the top research experts. I somehow weaseled my way in, cracked my foot through the door of the highest levels of neurology and was seen at Mass General Hospital in Boston, which is like really hard to get in to see anybody. Uh, so I traveled there, spent thousands of dollars like traveling, staying for a week to see a doctor that turned out to not even specialize in my form of neuropathy to begin with. And so I basically came out of that appointment, having spent thousands of dollars to go there with no information. Mm. And that was 
kind of the last straw for me. I was very disappointed. That's when I started kind of finding this world of functional medicine. I discovered people like Dr. Terry Walls and her MS journey with diet, nutrition, lifestyle, all these things. And I was like, man, this is the missing link to chronic disease. And so that has basically led me to the rabbit hole of things like carnivore for therapeutic purposes, just as lifestyle. Um, never really did the vegan thing. I never went down that route because my podcast partner, Tommy was vegan for four years and that actually ruined his health. So I never really had an interest in even uh, discovering anything about that because I kind of already knew that was a, a route that was probably not going to end up well. So um, that, that really was kind of my, my journey into where we're at currently with, with the way we view medicine and the things you share specifically on your page and the things I share on my page and talking about just how broken our system is and how driven by the pharmaceutical companies everything is to keep people sick, to drive sales and not heal people, but not kill people kind of stuff. And talked to Michelle Hearn about this so many times, I can't even count. But uh, that's kind of been my, my journey with, uh, with chronic illness and then finding what real root cause healing is, as Judy would say. <laughs> Absolutely. What, what is on, why are you wearing the oh, braces? Yeah, so I have, I have some carpal tunnel right now. Um, and this just helps me for when I'm, uh, when I'm doing computer work, as opposed to wearing one of those nasty looking braces, it just keeps my wrists a little more neutral without having to think about it. Unfortunately, if you're, if you're into getting a tan, which I am because the sun is magical, you get a really fancy, uh, tan mark where <laughs> it's like wearing the long socks, uh, that I was not anticipating. So you gotta, I gotta, I've started having to like alternate, taking them on and off, <laughs> but, uh, it's mostly just for just to, rem it's a reminder to keep my wrists in a neutral mm, position okay. more than anything. So that's kind of the dealio with those. Out of curiosity right now, as we're talking, are you in pain? Uh, a little bit. I have a little bit of back pain from uh, some of the osteopenia stuff. So working on a lot of core strengthening for stuff like that. Um, I, have a lot of like physical, I'm doing like the whole nine yards, like physical therapy, like nutrition stuff. So mental health stuff, but, uh, I'm, I'm mildly aggravated almost all the time. And unfortunately it's kind of one of those situations mm -hmm. that a lot of people with the, like fibromyalgia, for instance, get mm -hmm. where you just have it so much, you're just used to it. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. I don't feel like we need to be that way. I don't feel like being comfortable with that is a good thing, but that is kind of where I'm at right now. I still have a ways to go, but I'm okay with it. You know, it's, it's a learning, it's a learning curve. And so I'm, I look forward to learning more. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about what you've coined or you said medical gaslighting. Oh yeah. Talk about what that means and how you experienced that. Yeah. I mean, well, for me, the main gaslighting was the denial of any sort of medical problem with me other than mental. Like it was all chalked up to me being stressed, anxious. They wanted me on Lexapro, which I went on. I was on Lexapro. I was on Clonopin. Um, I didn't go like the whole nine yards of like being on all these like tropic drugs that a lot of people unfortunately get to. I uh, wasn't on like uh, Zofran or any of those uh, crazy things, but um, most of my gaslighting had to do with me being 
basically a hypochondriac. My current business partner, I think he still thinks I'm a hypochondriac, which to an extent, you know, isn't a totally inaccurate statement. But uh, when you're when you're going to see multiple doctors and you're not getting answers, it's almost impossible to not go a little stir crazy and want to find out because like when you're in constant aggravation, it's not really something you can just ignore. And unfortunately that does ride on the people that live around you too. And that only makes it worse for everybody. So a lot of the gaslighting I dealt with was basically just being told I was crazy. And like I said earlier, you have to be your own best advocate because they're going to give up on you. Otherwise they're, they're not going to push for you. They got 15 other people they got to see right after your five minutes is up. So that's, that was the main experience with gaslighting I saw. And that's why I'm a huge advocate for people speaking up in their doctor visits, coming in with notes prepared and being stern, don't not angry, but stern with their doctor mm -hmm. of, look, I'm concerned with this. Can we look at this? Have suggestions for them because they're not thinking of all the options. I guarantee it because they're also thinking about the next person they got to see mm -hmm. the last person they saw. Right. And to some extent, it's not their fault. They're put right. into a system where they need to see a hundred patients a day. And that's a lot of stress for anybody. The so system's you, broken. The, system's the whole entirely system broken. is broken. Yeah. So yeah, it's just a mess. Yeah. And I, I hear this a lot and I think it is so sad for somebody to go into a doctor. And like you said, some of it is really not their fault, but like you, you oh, you, you're now diabetic. So here's your insulin, here's your metformin, whatever. Um, it's just the way it is. It's just a the way it is. Talked about it yeah. all, which is something. No, no, but I'll go see a nutritionist or a dietitian and then make sure you eat, you know, 150 calorie, uh, 150 carbs per meal or mm. whatever the ridiculousness is. I don't even know anymore. Um, yeah. You want to know how that worked out for my cousin? Yeah. He's missing half his foot. He is on dialysis. He just had a triple bypass and he's missing toes on another foot. That's how it worked out. He followed the ADA guidelines. Yeah. It's a, it's a true mess. That's why it's, it's kind of uh, I'll see like um, I'll get emails or spam emails or I'll see ads on TP for all the diabetic drugs. And I'm like, man, I lowered my A1C using this drug from 11 <laughs> to seven. And I'm like, that's not very good. <laughs> and it's like, man, just, you could do this with food. And it's, it's a, that's yeah. the frustrating thing it is, it is you're treated like there is no alternative. You have to accept this. You just yep. have to accept the diagnosis, accept that you're always going to be diabetic now. Yep. Nothing you can do. So just eat your carbs, take your insulin. If you eat more carbs, just up it a little because you're, you're diabetic. You, you, it's just, oh my goodness. And then day after day after day, I see people who have reversed that. Yep. Now, yeah, if they went back to eating, you know, the crap again, of course, yeah, they become diabetic again. So you can call it reverse or whatever you want to call it. But to be told to basically just accept it. Yeah. I mean, that is what our medical community does because I mean, the, pharmace the ph pharmaceutical companies, which I know pretty well, my dad's worked for big pharma for his entire career. I mean, you don't make money healing people and you certainly don't make money healing people by eating food that you don't sell. Like that's why they even, I mean, they, a lot of drugs are created using a synthetic compound that was originally derived from a plant because, or some sort of, you know, something like that 
because they want to repackage it and sell it. So, and that's why there haven't been any real therapeutic studies or interventional studies with a lot of diets. There's been actually quite a few with keto, but like this carnivore study that Sean Baker's trying to doing, I hope it mm. gets done. Me too. Because no one's going to fund a huge clinical trial about food where you can't bank off it. So it's, it's, that's why I also never take, you know, nutritional epidemiology. I always read it with like a huge grain of salt, <laughs> grain in a of bucket salt big time. because they change their mind every other week because it's all just based on questionnaires. So exactly diet nutrition is a big I mean, it's a, it's a huge, it's a powerful tool, but it's also something where like, you really got to get into the weeds and try and see what works for you because there's just not a lot of hard, a hard data on anything because no one's going to fund it. That's exactly right. And as we were discussing before we started, the one person who was attacking me in a comment saying I was giving misinformation, et cetera, you know, she, she was just all about this, uh, you are not giving the right information. So, you know, you need to just uh, move on. And she was talking about when you can show me actual research that proves your point, not just, oh, I got better, you know, by doing a certain thing, then maybe I would listen, but you can't because there is none. Um, Yeah, there isn't actually. (laughs) But But I'm going to believe somebody who thousands and thousands of people Mm -hmm. who testify and, and I've experienced it myself, you know, there's gotta be something to it. Gotta be somewhere. There's anecdotal evidence is worthy evidence. Like thousands of people, like you wouldn't have thousands of people saying this if something didn't work. And I've seen it. And like, I think the greatest example I can think of is someone like Rebecca Farmer who had like, yes. 12 or something autoimmune diseases was told she was gonna die by 30 Mm -hmm. and now it's gone like Mm -hmm. sure like she she can't like eat pizza and all this like crazy stuff that you know sad would have you think is okay on you know occasion she had to go pretty extreme but it worked and that's what i found really fascinating and i just see it time and time and time again and so it's something you just can't ignore Exactly. And basically her point was that should be discounted. Yeah. Because we have so much proof for nutrition on the other side. (laughs) I mean, for some reason we, you know, went for thousands of years without developing diabetes and, you know, heart disease in massive populations as humans. And somehow that's a normal thing of age all of a sudden in the last 100 years. It just doesn't make any sense, specifically the last 80 years, really. Um, Prior to that, it was like pretty non-existent as far as as heart disease goes. So I think there's a bit of a misnomer, considering that most of us have been following the actual dietary guidelines since the 80s. Uh And we're actually- For 40 years, yep. And we're 10 times as unhealthy as we were when it started. That's kind of a, a red flag to me as far as listening to mainstream science which has been a big deal the last year, listening to mainstream science. Uh, you think? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I so wanted to get, go there, but it's like, no. how do you have faith in the system anymore? How? I mean, how can you? Because we know for a fact that some of the things that we have been told is a bald-faced lie, you know, that is just meant to put money in, in certain people's pockets. Yeah, so we know that. So how a... do you trust? 
there's a great podcast, Breaking Point, and their whole mantra is follow the money. Follow uh, the money, yes. you find the truth. And that's that's kind of where it is. I mean, that's even, I mean, I'll say this, there are bad eggs in the nutrition space, even in the functional sure. space that are here to, you know, profit off of people's sickness. Sure. I think that's terrible. But like I said, follow the money. Like if it stinks, mm -hmm. like it's probably crap. So <laughs> that's kind of my, that's kind of my mantra, but also you got to experiment for yourself. Like just mm -hmm. because you follow some, don't follow people blindly, try it out for yourself. See what works. Exactly. Version of something is going to be a little different. If you want to go like the carnival route, um, what works for you, Amber may not work for, for me. What works for Rebecca uh, may not work for me, but I guarantee you, you're going to find a sweet spot somewhere in there of what your body wants and needs. And you'll find that there's, there's going to be something that works for you. You just got to do the trial and error. Unfortunately, we live in an instant gratification world where we all want the simple answer, the simple pill, and it just doesn't exist. And the same thing goes for healing a chronic condition, healing, being truly healed from an eating disorder. If you don't want to face the trauma, well, guess what? You're not going to, you're meeting quasi recovery the rest of your life. So get ready for that. If you're fine with that, go ahead. But you got to go the whole nine yards and it's just a process. So buckle up, enjoy the journey. Cause that's, that's how it's going to go. <laughs> that's for sure. And it is a journey and, it, and it's not a journey that ends. That's no, just it. It is long. a continuing. Yes. And I, I think a lot of people don't understand that. And, and if you could just focus on that, that it is a journey, just relax. There's not an yep. end date. There's not a specific, you know, points you have to meet. It's a journey. So yep. just relax and focus on moving forward and getting better and better each time, making better decisions, doing things that are, you know, more healthy or whatever, you know, moving yep. forward one step at a time. And don't do it alone. Do it with somebody yes. that you, know you can lean on. Yes. That is so huge. And I don't think that's said enough either. No. Absolutely. Okay. Ooh. Okay. So. We've been yapping for a while. Yes, that is something I do. So, so I apologize. <laughs> oh, no, I psh, listen to me. I'm a yapper too. Okay. So if you were to give somebody some advice, somebody who is going through issues like you, whether it be an eating disorder or trying to figure out the root of your chronic illness, what advice would you give that person? I think the first thing anyone should do, and it's, I, I hate this. I hate, I mean, unfortunately, like this is the profound truth that I've discovered and I hate it, but it's just the way it is. And you got it, you got to do it. But one, like give yourself some grace and forgive yourself for the mistakes you've made in the past that maybe have led you to where you are because dwelling there is not going to lead you forward at all. And I've dwelt in the past for far too long. It's led to inaction, fear, and in action again. So the first thing you can do is say, Hey, I effed up or whatever. I've, I messed up in the past, but screw it. It's done. I'm going to take from where I am right now and learn from those things and move forward with that knowledge I've gained and not do it again and try to do better every day. And you're going to have setbacks. So that's the other thing I want people to realize is mm -hmm. you're going to mess up. I messed up today and had a cold brew coffee because I just gave into the urge. All right. I knew I didn't want it. I knew it wasn't good for me, but I gave in. And you know what? I went into it knowing that I was making this decision and I'm just going to be okay with it. There's always tomorrow to get back on track, but just give yourself some grace. It's really hard. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do in this journey is, is give yourself grace. 
But uh, that's also where working with someone is really great because mm -hmm. you can have that person to be like, hey, I messed up. And they'll be like, you know, it's okay, but let's get back on the ball. I'm here for you. That's why I say, don't go it alone. Have someone you can lean on. That's the one piece of advice I would give to anyone, whether you're struggling with a chronic condition or eating disorder or both, give yourself some grace. I love that. That's awesome. Perfect ending too, Ryan. Love it. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and helping out all those that may be going through the same thing that you've gone through. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. And it's been a blast. Oh yeah. It was a ton of fun. <laughs> Thanks, Ryan. Thanks. That was awesome. Bye. Bye.